Welcome to Everything Fast Pitch, sponsored by Fast Pitch Prep. We've got a tremendous show for you this week, starting off with Get Ready to Play, the first of a five-part series about pregame routines and things that players and coaches can do to ensure that they play at a higher level. That leads us into an interview with Claudia Cooper, who played at North Carolina State and is part of the Fast Pitch Prep family. After we finish up with Claudia, we move into a question with Hey Coach. One of Coach Don's clients has a tremendous question about the changeup, which also ties directly into our coaching tip of the week, where Coach Don gives tips and information on how to better handle the changeup. So Don, our first topic is getting ready to play. It's going to be something that I think is a very interesting topic, something that people are going to find to be very, very valuable for players and for coaches alike. I think that it's something that uh, um, we've done a lot of work on getting ready to play in the lessons and practice and getting yourself prepared to hit the field running. And I think this will be a great opportunity for us to kind of add the last layer of preparation. Yeah, the uh, the pregame prep is uh, one of those things that I think is important for pumping up the team, getting them uh, loosened up and prepared, but also, too, for them to uh, kind of show some of their skills. I know uh, way back when we played, the, the pregame warm-up was something that was uh, pretty much set every time we did it. It was the same routine. Everybody knew what to expect. Um, everybody could show a lot of hustle and uh, be very prepared for whatever their next role was in that pregame warm-up. Um, you know, a lot of times it, it showcased arms when they got to make full throws and, um, you know, whether it's outfielders working um, on the over-the-shoulder catches uh, or some fence work, that type of thing for the outfielders. But, uh, you know, a lot of times the, the infielders can showcase some of their uh, range and things like that and even their arms to a degree. Uh, with fast pitch, you know, a full infield is something that we did at the college level often um, for tournament play. I know a lot of times they just get line drills and stuff behind the bags, but uh, when you get a full full infield warm-up, that can be something that gets the team psyched with some big throws and you know some awesome range plays and uh, you know it can be almost intimidating to the other team when when you have a really clean full um, you know round of infield and and game preparation I think uh, you know whenever we had a, a good clean round we were pretty excited that uh, we'd we'd show that we're ready to play that day well one of the things that uh, I find to be very interesting about the idea of pregame preparation is that many players and many coaches I think are undervaluing its its importance and uh, um, I had this picture in my mind when I first started working on this series and, and writing these blogs of the in-ring pre-fight announcements and uh, the one that's you know so famous now with uh, Bruce Buffer with the old, are you ready to rumble? And that thought kind of struck home to me because I think a lot of times I watch kids play or preparing to play and they're not ready to rumble. They're ready for something, but I'm not sure exactly what it is. And so um, what I wanted us to talk about is the idea of game day and what it means for a player to truly prepare themselves to play on game day and how that impacts and can impact positively or negatively the performance that they give. And so to me, pregame warmups is something that is is very, very important and very valuable. And I think it's important for us to have an opportunity to share some ideas with coaches and players about things that they can be, should be doing, and uh, why they should be doing it to the best of their ability before they play every game. 
No, most certainly. Uh, again, I, I like when it's a routine, something they do every single time, and uh, you know that they're prepared for it, so they can show their very best. Right. And, well, let, let's talk about that routine idea a little bit. So, whose responsibility do you think it is to develop that routine? Absolutely, the coach has got to lead that, and uh, and they've got to instill, you know, what they think is important to showcase, and uh, you know, it's develop developing skills, but it's also um, showcasing some of the older kids that are in front of college coaches right absolutely if we can get the young ones um in that type of routine and uh that we express that it's an important time for them to show some enthusiasm and and to really get after it uh individually and collectively that's impressive uh to those that are watching that might be future coaches right well one of the things that uh i see that uh i think is very very crucial is for a coach to set a tone that that pregame routine is important and i think the best way for a coach to do that is to create some sort of a schedule, some sort of a routine that says these are the things we're going to do every day pregame. Obviously, some things can change. Something can happen that maybe you don't get to always follow that exact schedule. But I think if it's something that has been trained and practiced and and thought through to the point where players know what the expectation is, that that certainly sets a tone that the coach values it. And if the coach values it, then hopefully the players will value it as well. Yeah, most certainly. And uh, like you said, when it's routine and, and I'm watching a group warm up, you know, if they are all hopping and, and, and pushing and moving and, uh, you know, it's obvious that they've done it numerous times and that everybody's thinking about what should be next and that it happens smooth and transitions easy that, uh, you know, that they are getting prepared and they're ready. So coaches, here's our first challenge for you. If you don't have one now to take some time, sit down and map out exactly the things that you think should be included and should be covered as your team prepares to play. We're going to go through a list of things that uh, Coach Don and I think are important here in a minute, but we want you to have a second to just kind of think about what you're doing pregame. Think about some of the things that you have done in the past and maybe some things that uh, you could do better as a way to help your team be a little bit more prepared to play. I think that uh, uh, as coaches, sometimes we get into a rut where we think that what we've been doing or what we are doing is all that we need to do. And I think it's a crucial uh, idea that uh, we are always thinking about things we can do to improve, things that we can do to make things better. And if it feels like our team is flat on game day, if it feels like we don't come out of the gate well, if we seem to always be down a run or two before we start playing, um, maybe it is time to take a good hard look at that pregame routine. Shake it up a little. Yeah. And and shaking it up a little bit sometimes I think can add a little bit of uh, spice and a little bit of uh, fresh. A, a little bit of enthusiasm from the players. But so now we've put some pressure on you coaches to think of your routine and to make sure that you're thinking it through um, to develop the best routine you possibly can, But we need to talk about the player's role in this a little bit, too, before we get too uh, far into the weeds with exactly what should be included. To my way of thinking, if the players are not as invested in this pregame routine and this pregame preparation, I think that uh, it's certainly going to be lacking. Well, you, you kind of push to that. Uh, the coaches are responsible for the enthusiasm of the kids, and um, we really need to sell upon them um, how important that is just so that they're uh, you know getting everything out of it they can if they're working at it and really trying to be uh 
using that time wisely about making good throws about you know doing a good job on their uh, backhand uh, tosses in their warm-ups for throwing making sure that they're trying to hit a spot when they're making a throw you know they're getting a little bit more precise and and uh, specializing in their accuracy uh, even more if they're using that time wisely so um, but the coaches are definitely going to set that tone and right. if they make it important the kids will too yeah well one of the things I've seen quite a bit being out at the ballpark with the travel ball team is that there's an awful lot of travel teams that look at the idea of warming up like it's some sort of chore like oh my god we've got to warm up again yeah. like uh, you know they'll, they'll count down the number of warm-ups they have yet for the weekend and they're hoping for back-to-back games so that they only have to warm up once and I think that uh, you know we've got to address that attitude and certainly I think if coaches are creating a warm-up routine that's uh, got a high level of enthusiasm and the players believe is truly preparing them to play I think that's part of it but then we also have to hold the players accountable and make sure that they understand that this is their chance to prepare themselves mentally physically emotionally to get out there and show the world what kind of player they really are it's kind of heartbreaking to me to see kids spend hundreds and hundreds of hours and you know thousands and thousands of dollars on lessons and teams and training and equipment travel and then go out there and kind of half-heartedly go through the motions as they're getting ready to play it just seems a little disheartening and a little bit disappointing so players there's a little bit of pressure on you too so your coaches are going to take our words and uh, decide on a better warm-up routine for you and your team and then we're going to ask you to do the same thing now invest yourself fully in that routine to make sure that you're doing everything you can to prepare yourself to play well Tori, you and i talk about this often too is uh, as a college coach we use that opportunity as uh, probably the very best time for us to watch a player's skills and if they're not getting after and if they're not you know making a special effort to do a good job in their warm-ups they're not showing uh, their skills like they could because uh, you know during a game it's limited how much you know play time or throws and um, you know all the all the activities of a game don't necessarily highlight every position's uh, skills but everybody's making throws and warm-ups everybody's you know either hustling or not and everybody's either accurate with their throws or all over the place right. so if they're making a special effort to you know hit the glove of their um, warm-up partner and and they're hitting it crisp you know, each time I notice it. Right. Well, uh, to me, if a player is warming up well, it's always making a good impression. It makes a good impression on them. and It makes a good impression on that college coach that might also be watching. And I think that the uh, preparation and the time that a player is putting in uh, is going to pay dividends directly in how they play. But you're absolutely right that many college coaches are going to watch those warm-ups diligently to try to see as much as they can about a player. That might be the only time they get to, to really see a lot of repetitions with your team. I mean, they might just happen to be there, but if you catch their eye at that point, they might stick around and watch. Right. So let's go through my list of the things that I think a good warm-up routine should include. And we'll talk about about each of them a little bit in detail. Uh, but uh, my way of thinking, the first piece of any warm-up routine should include jogging and stretching. Oh, most certainly. That's that's pretty key to be loose and prepared physically. Yeah, and so I've always believed that um, a nice jog is a great way to get the blood flowing. Of course, this is something that you'll see players almost dreading the idea of having to run again. Oh you know, my gosh, we're going to run a whole 200 yards or whatever it is uh, to, to warm up. Um, but so I think we always start with a jog and then a stretch. Now, I've always been a fan of active stretching versus the old sitting around in a circuit and circle and just doing your uh, um, your. St- 
static stretches, but I think a good routine is going to include both. Sure. And uh, you know, dynamic stretching to me is a very important tool and a great way for players to truly prepare themselves to play. Allows them to get a better stretch and and you know to really warm the body up properly. Um, but jogging and stretching is something that you see quite often. The kids just sort of you know halfway and and don't really spend much time on. And then unfortunately, you know, they spend a lot of time after the game complaining about how their arm hurts, their legs hurt, their back hurts, or whatever hurts. And uh, if you can kind of, you know, re- review the video evidence of the day and show them, well, this is how you warmed up. Does it surprise you now that everything hurts? I think that would be beneficial. What do you think about jogging first and then stretching or stretching then jogging? I know the good old days, they always told us to stretch before we jogged. Yeah, well, I think there's a lot of good old days things that nobody <laughs> believes in anymore. But, uh, you know, I personally believe a little jog, you know, something just to get the blood pumping and then a good stretching routine. Um, and, and part of that stretching routine to my way of thinking should also include arm exercises to warm up the arm, whether it's the bands or the uh, glove calisthenics or whatever it is that, that a team decides to incorporate. But we want to make sure that we get our bodies truly prepared to perform and to perform at the highest, the highest possible level and hopefully at the highest possible level to um, certainly reflect in our performance, but also to save on the injuries and the, and the wear and tear on the body. So we're totally in agreement on uh, jogging before stretching. Uh, I'm totally yeah. in agreement with it so and the bands and the the you know the either the glove calisthenics like you're saying i think is way under way under emphasized right i don't, I don't hardly see that at all no there, there's a handful of teams that you see do it at, at the travel ball tournaments and and shockingly some of those same teams that are working on those kinds of things pregame are some of the better teams also so i think there's a connection and i think fewer injury probably too absolutely so so the next piece of the warm-up routine to me is throwing and catching but here's something I want players to really understand. When we talk about throwing and catching, we do not mean just the activity of warming up your arm. Now, obviously, your pregame routine is designed to warm your arm up well for making big throws. But to me, it's also a chance for you to practice the skills of throwing and catching. One of the biggest mistakes or biggest weaknesses, I think, in our game are the players who think of throwing as a warm-up activity instead of a skill. And you'll see kids uh, reinforcing really bad habits over and over and over again in their in their pre-game and pre-practice throwing routine. So uh, players, we want you to take it seriously. This is a chance for you to showcase your abilities to throw, but also to make sure that you're practicing throwing and catching the ball correctly. No, most certainly. And uh, I, I see so many outfielders as well that are making the longest throw that they are going to make all day in the third, second, first inning, whatever it is, and in a really rushed and tense and important and tense uh, environment when really we want that longest throw they make to be in, in warm-ups in a very comfortable and controlled setting, um, working on creating good long hops, easy to receive on the other end. And, um, you know, a lot of times we don't practice that long hop and, and our warm-ups is a great place for us to be uh, working on creating a throw that's going to be easy to receive on the other side, even if it's not completely in the air. The, a long hop to a base with a runner sliding is a huge, important uh maybe difference maker in a game that could be practiced regularly in our warm-ups and that's often i think kind of skipped and missed uh footwork for double plays for middle infielders 
you know, they could be receiving a ball and work on uh, the footwork that they want to use, uh, you know, in that first inning, turning a double play. But if, right. we, if we're only doing that in that once every two weeks when we get together and work on infield double plays as a team, um, I think we're missing out on a lot of opportunities to improve our footwork and skills, uh, you know, that could be difference makers. Right. Well, the pregame routine then of throwing and catching should include all the different skills you would be using in the game as Back much as hands. you possibly can. Yeah. And so... Um, uh, to to make it a a, a much more uh, complete routine, I think coaches and players can work together on the th- idea of um, what exactly it is that's going to be part of their game and to include those things into their pregame routine for throwing and catching. And I think that uh, um, you made a very important point for outfielders. Your warm-up throws need to include some throws that are just as long and just as difficult as the throws you're expecting to make in the game. If uh, the first long throw you've made is that runners trying to score from second uh, in the bottom of the seventh inning with the winning run going home, and that's the first time that you've made a 125, 130, 150-foot throw all day, good luck with that one. Right. So the next thing that should be included in a routine is hitting. And each opportunity, each field, each tournament is going to have different situations that present themselves for you as a hitter. So whether it's um, hitting in a cage and you get a chance to have you know somebody actually pitching to you, whether it's uh, hitting soft toss or off the tee into the bow net, or if you're um, in a, a college situation where um, maybe you get to take pregame batting practice on the field, no matter where you're getting those swings, it's crucial that you get good quality swings that are going to prepare you to hit in the game. And I mean, game quality, real swings, not just sort of halfway in it through your, uh, through your uh, practice cuts. Yeah, that's, that's ideal when we can, uh, you know, get very game-like intensity for sure, because it's time to just like we're getting the blood flowing for our uh, stretching and our warm-ups, um, you know, getting the brain going for, you know, what you're intending to do in the game. That's those T cuts or front toss, uh, you know, obviously college wise, if you got machines and things thrown or live BP, um, you know, that's ideal, but that's when you're getting your brain wrapped around what, what you're intending to do that day. And, you know, how we're going to accomplish it. We might know what kind of pitcher we've got uh, to face that day, whether they're, you know, an up in the zone rise ball pitcher or somebody that keeps it away or keeps it off speed. We've got to be thinking and dreaming and, and preparing mentally for what we expect to have happened during that game. And, um, you know, or, or maybe it's a little bit of everything. If it's an unknown opponent that day, we've got to be, uh, you know, as coaches too, prepping them on, on uh, what type of things and how that, how that should go in warmups. Right. Well, so pregame hitting is important. Whatever form it takes, we want to make sure that each player is focusing in getting good quality swings. Uh, The one thing that I warn players to uh, be aware of is every once in a while I'll see a player that will take so many practice swings pregame that sometimes I think they leave their best swings outside the fence, out in the batting cage or in the bow net instead of in the game. Um, How many is the right number for every player is going to depend on each player. Um, But uh, when you've gone and maybe taken 10, 12, 15 really good swings in a row, I don't know that you're going to gain much more by taking another 5 or another 10 or another 15. So when you feel good, when you feel like you're seeing 
seeing the ball well, when your confidence level is high, go ahead and grab your bat and head on out of there and, and know that you've prepared yourself to hit today. Um, sometimes I think that you can talk yourself into thinking you're struggling by taking an extra 10 swings, maybe when you're a little tired, maybe when you're a little mentally fatigued, and all of a sudden you walk out of there with doubt because you stayed a little bit too long. So um, leave on a high note, feel good about your swing, and then uh, take that confidence out to the field with you. So the next piece of the pregame routine should definitely include fielding balls, whether it's fly balls in the outfield or ground balls in the infield. Uh, We want to get used to the field conditions and we want to get used to seeing the ball off the bat. So that's a good time as well uh, to do a little bit of everything, whether it's uh, rushing a a short ball or a a bunt, um, forehand, backhand, you know, high choppers, whatever that might be. Uh, You know, you got to include all of it and to do it in a a really well-organized, crisp, sharp manner gets everybody pumped up. And again, I think it's a little bit intimidating on the other side if people aren't chasing balls behind them all the time. Right. Um, Also, too, for coaches, to get uh, to where they're hitting good ground balls. There's a little bit of a, an art or a, a practice to that as well. But if you know your, your players, you can, you can also uh, make them look sharp and, and get them a little more pumped up if, if they're fielding good balls and you know, making good plays, but looking good doing it. Right. Well, when I'm hitting pregame infield, my agenda is to make sure that we get the players comfortable, but also to challenge them a little bit. So we'll start off with a couple of balls pretty much right at them, a couple of backhands, a couple of forehands, a couple of high hoppers, a couple of short balls that they have to charge. And then we always end up uh, with a uh, situation where they will field a ground ball, throw it in, charge and pick up a slow, slow roller or, or, a, or a short ball and flip it either glove hand or bare hand. Um, just to make sure that they have had an opportunity to do all the different skills that they're going to need in the game. Again, you know, we talk about the idea of um, not having warmed up your arm enough to make that hard throw. Well, if we haven't seen a backhand in a week... We can't be expecting to make backhand plays come, you know, when, when they happen in the game um, or that slow roller or that high hopper or whatever it is. And so we want to get com- get comfortable with the field, get com- comfortable with the conditions, um, but then also make sure that we are warming up um, all the different uh, uh, different aspects of our game. And players, I would tell you to challenge your coaches. If you feel like they're not hitting balls that are really putting some pressure on you in practice, pregame more r- routine, um, go ahead and ask them to. You know, hey, coach, I really need to work on my backhand. I really need to work on my forehand hand let's see if we can't stretch them out a little bit so i know uh a couple other pieces that that i would say we at least need to talk to our groups about each day is uh the uh out of bounds fence for the first and third base and catcher i guess in particular how much foul territory we've got and then also to the position of the sun that day and we may uh you know we may even get them used to putting their glove into the sun um pending on you know where it is what time of day and so right. forth uh, uh, just yeah. to be conscious of it so right. we know what our plan is. Yeah, no, and I think a, a good pregame routine is going to include all those things. The last thing that I think players should be doing, and this can be honestly at the tail end of their pregame routine, or it can be um, earlier in the day, but I think your pregame routine should include uh, a, a serious effort at visualization. I think you should be spending some time picturing yourself being successful. I think you should picture yourself performing your best and playing the game out in your mind. Um, 
with you coming out on top and you being the successful player that you want to be, I know you mentioned uh, earlier the idea of uh, you know, dreaming of what you want to have happen, uh, but I think visualization is another important sco- uh, skill that should be included. No, most are, I think that's one of the most under-talked under about or underused things uh, you know, for all of us as coaches is we've got to sell upon um, our athletes. That's going to be what separates each of them um, from one another is whether or not they think well. So we'll often talk about the things we want to be, uh, you know, challenging our kids to, to be dreaming about or visualizing about um, in their preparation and, and on and off the field, really, about being successful and the things we want rather than the things we worry about uh, not wanting to have happen. So very good. That's huge. Well, coaches, there's some pressure on you now to create a better routine for your team. Players, there's some pressure on you to make sure you do everything you can to take full advantage of that routine that your coach is going to create for you. If you all work together, I think there's a high likelihood you're going to see your performance improving and you're going to see yourself playing the game at a much higher level. The next part of our series of Get Ready to Play is going to deal with the topic of scouting, but not necessarily scouting in the traditional sense that everybody thinks about uh, where you've watched a team play five or six or seven times and you know all their tendencies, but a common sense approach that's going to give you some knowledge that's going to help you be prepared to face the opponent that you're playing uh, and be as prepared as you possibly can to have success against them. So that's our first discussion about Get Ready to Play. Next week, you'll hear about scouting. Coming up next, we've got an interview with Claudia Cooper, who, as I mentioned earlier, is a member of the Fast Pitch Prep family and a high-quality instructor and former college player that you're going to love to hear from. Welcome back to our interview with Claudia Cooper. The interview is sponsored by B. Sampson, Inc., our interior trim specialists. They do windows and doors, custom closets, coffer ceilings, crown molding, and post and beam ceilings. They'll meet and surpass any of your woodworking needs, and you can reach them at 404-569-5034. Here's our interview with Claudia Cooper. Fast Pitch and Fast Pitch Prep, here with Claudia Cooper today. Coop is part of the Fast Pitch Prep family and has been working with us for a couple of years. She's doing Coop's Catching Corner videos for us on the YouTube channel and also has worked several of our camps and clinics. And uh, we're really pleased that uh, she's part of the Fast Pitch Prep family and uh, happy to have a chance to catch up with her and talk to her a little bit about her uh, background, um, what's led her to this point in her coaching career, and uh, a little bit of her story. So, Coop, thank you very much for taking some time to visit with us today. Thanks for having me. So, tell us a little bit about your recruiting story. Obviously, you played at North Carolina State, and recruiting was a little bit different back a few years ago when you went through the process. So, tell me a little bit about the process that you went through and uh, what it was like compared to what it's like today. Well, my recruiting process didn't actually start until about my sophomore year of high school. Um, It wasn't as onset, early onset as it is now. It, uh, it all began kind of where we went to tournaments and there were no such thing as really big showcases. The biggest one was uh, the one out in Denver, Colorado, which is taking place right now. A few that were down in Florida and I think there was that scenic city was just starting. But um, the majority of our tournaments during the summer were just uh, competitive type tournaments. So coaches would come out and watch us play and we all started to get some recognition and, and luckily I had a really great travel team. Uh, they all eventually ended up going you know, big division one. We had about six or seven that went to the power five conferences 
some we got some buzz around. Uh, coaches started to get to know kind of who we are, what we were, and it um, once I think it was September one or July one of my junior year. You know, we actually got letters in the mail, and we would keep getting those letters in the mail, and it was really kind of cool to be able to experience that, getting the uh, handwritten notes and formal emails and formal mail mailings, things that came in the mail from coaches. And it just made you feel kind of special. And I think today some of those kids are missing out on that. And it's um, a really great thing to kind of have as a, a momentum. I mean, I'm Right. Well, it had to be exciting for for you as a player to come home at the end of the day and see a stack of mail. You, know, you get media guides and, and different things like that from different schools. Um, what were some of the schools that were interested in you, and ultimately what led you to decide that North Carolina North Carolina State was the school for you? Well, I'll never forget. At the time, I was a huge Auburn fan. I I don't know why, but at the time, I was huge Auburn. And the very first letter I got was actually from the University of Alabama, and it was. From uh, Patrick Murphy, and I remember looking at it, and I said, "I don't want to go there. I want to go to Auburn." Um, but I didn't, of course. I uh, was interested in, in um, Alabama. Talked to them for a little bit. Uh, Kennesaw State was very interested. Uh, Florida State recruited me for a little bit, and then, of course, I got my first letter from NC State, and they were a new program at the time. I think they were in their first year of existence. And I looked at the it was the the logo is a block S, and I thought to myself, why is Stanford sending me a letter? I'm not smart enough for that. And I eventually started reading into it. And it was North Carolina State, and um, I had had a friend of mine who was her parents were an alumni from NC State, so immediately he got to talking to me about about Raleigh and the city of Raleigh and how great it was and how beautiful it was up there. And so immediately it kind of sparked my interest because I'd had somebody who knew the campus and uh, started kind of communicating with all these coaches. And NC State just kept coming to tournaments and games. And it eventually led to being one of my five official visits. Right. So, sure. so talk about that a little bit because the official visit once upon a time was a big part of the decision making process. Unfortunately, now it's become more of like a victory lap for kids just to go and spend time at the schools they already know they're going to attend. But you made all five visits and, and you used those visits as part of your decision making process, correct? I did. Yes, absolutely. And, it, and I'm glad that I did because the very first official visit that I went on was actually NC State. Uh, I, re- I remember it was the first uh, weekend of of the month and I remember leaving and I was in the car with my parents and I said mom this is where I want to go. I knew immediately when I got in the car and my parents made me of course abide by my commitment because I had already committed to go on four more official visits for that month and she, they made me go by and I'm glad that I did because there were just certain aspects in every school that just didn't match up to what NC State had to offer and everything that they had. And so once I got through with my last official visit, the very next day I called Coach Novice, who is now the associate head coach at uh, University of South Carolina. But I called Coach Novice and I said, I want to be part of the pack. And she was just ecstatic. You know, it was one of those things. It was a great you get that moment where you know you're going to go somewhere in college and it's a huge weight off your back, but I knew I made the right decision and um, it was even better because I ended, actually ended up being the very first number 44 in NC State history. So it kind of kind of put yourself in the record books when you play for a school who is just now starting a program, like for instance Duke and Clemson who are just now getting softball programs. It's really cool to be able to be part of that, that 
history. The very, you get to be the first of everything in that in the history of that program. And luckily, I wasn't the first because when I got there, I was they were in their fourth year of existence. However, their stadium wasn't built yet, so I ended up actually being on the starting lineup of the very first game in NC State's stadium history. So. Being part of a new program is actually pretty, really cool. Yeah, and uh, so um, I've known Coach Navis for a long time, and, and she and I are very good friends. And I know you have become very close friends with her through your uh, playing career and now post-playing career. What were some of the things about playing for Coach Navis that really made it an, a, a great experience for you? Oh, man, where do I start? Um, Coach Navis is now one of those people that I can call with anything I can. I mean, I could then as well, but she knew how to push you to your limit and past your limit on the field, but also off the field. And she knew when you needed a hug. She knew when she she knew when you needed a mom. She knew when you needed some guidance. And most of the time, she could tell that with all of her players. There was not one player that ever felt uh, mistreated or not seen and she just really took that kind of motherly instinct you know she took you under your wing when she knew something was up and made sure that you were staying close in your studies make sure that you weren't too homesick made sure that uh, if you needed to go home for any reason she could and it I distinctly remember I had a lot of uh, family deaths during my four-year career and my great-grandmother passed during my senior year and immediately she you know let me go home and I actually ended up being able to stay home for an entire week. And it was right before we were going to go play a big series at Florida State that next weekend. But, yeah, I missed all of practice. However, I was able to, you know, be around here and still hit with my hitting instructor. So get some workouts in while I was here during that time with my family. But just knowing that when I told her that she had passed, it was immediate. She said, okay, go be with your family. You know, at that point in time, she knew that that's something that I needed to be at instead of being at practice. And and uh, and now, like I said, I, I call her with anything just to say how she, see how she's doing, if there's any you know, new drills or any new things that I can talk to, any, any kids that um, she may need or, or whatnot. But uh, she's just been a great influence on me and, and taught me things that I didn't even know she was teaching me at the time. Right. Taught me kind of how to be a human being, a good human being, a good member of society. And in my opinion, every kid needs a coach like that in college because it's, it's not just about softball. And she was my mother away from home, and I still look at her that way. She's just an amazing coach. Any, any kid that has played for her or is continuing to play for her knows that, and they're extremely lucky to be able to have her as one of, one of, their, one of their coaches. Well, and you, and you see the impact that she's having now, too, as the associate head coach of South Carolina. South Carolina has become a national powerhouse and a team to be reckoned with on the national level. And I'm sure that uh, Coach Smith would certainly give some of that credit to Coach Navas. Um, I always found Lisa to be a fiery competitor, but somebody that as soon as the game was over with, you could go and have a beer with and, and shoot the breeze oh, yeah. and, and, and have fun with. And uh, oh, yeah. um, she, she's uh, done an amazing job in her in her coaching career. So, yeah. um, so even though she was such a profound impact, then you chose not to go into coaching as a career. Um, what were some of the things that uh, that led you away from coaching as a potential profession? Well. She actually tried to get me into coaching because I did stay during my fifth year at NC State and I was the student assistant coach with, with her and the, co- and the staff at, at North Carolina State. And I remember her, 
said, Coop, what do you, what do you want to do? Where do you want to coach? And I said, I don't, I don't know yet. I don't know if I want to coach. I don't know. And she kind of was taken aback. She was like, well, why not? And mainly just kind of not knowing there's a very, there's a lot of coaching changes throughout the NCAA and just kind of being at the mercy of the head coach who's also at the mercy of the athletic director who's also at the mercy of the chancellor of the university so there's a whole chain that could happen to where you could lose your job very quickly and you've done nothing wrong and it's I, I like stability I like knowing that I'm going to stay in a place for a, a long amount of time and at the time, there were just so many coaches changing, and I, I actually had a friend that coached at a different school for four years consecutively. And luckily, she moved all over the southeast, but she was moving every year. And that's not something that I wanted to get into. And at the time, uh, Lori Shepard, who was actually one of the most you know well-known hitting instructors here in the southeast, she was my hitting instructor, and she actually called me and asked me if I'd be interested in starting to give some lessons down you know, back here in Georgia. And I said, well, yeah, of course. And I knew I wanted to come back home. Yes, my family's here. It's where I wanted to be. So at the time, she was expecting twins, and she said that she'd be able to kind of feed me some kids, and that's how I started. And then she introduced me to John Stewart, which is the facility that I'm at now, and it kind of just took off from there. And started giving lessons, started kind of falling in love with it, being able to have the flexibility of my own schedule and knowing that I could make a career out of it. And then, you know, here I am making a career out of it, and I'm almost going to be home, be close to my family. and. I think this is, you know, where I want to be. So it actually ended up working out for the better. Right. Well, you've built a very strong client list and, and uh, certainly have impacted a lot of young players. Now, you work with hitters and catchers primarily. Um, are, what are some things that you would like to share with young players that are thinking about looking for an instructor um, or that uh, think they might need some instruction? Um, what are some key things that you think they should be looking for as they're looking for that person to help them develop their game? I think it's super important to find an instructor that you connect with on a, a personal level as well because all of us instructors have a pretty well-rounded repertoire of what we know, what we're teaching. However, sometimes the communication is just not there between coach and player. I think it's super important to find that connection, someone that you can relate to, someone that really makes sense to you and what they're saying, someone that can tell you why you're doing what you're doing, not just do it. it it's I see a lot of kids that come to me and they don't understand why they're doing something and I feel that if they understand why they're doing something it makes it more it makes it easier for them to make those adjustments uh, I do think that finding an instructor that will give you a quick fix is not something that you need to go in I think you need to be in it for the long haul because the the more you work and the more adjustments that you make and those consistent adjustments and those consistently hearing the same things the, the easier the adjustments come but I also know that if you are going to be an instruction and find an instructor, it's a it's a weekly commitment. It's not something that you can just come in every month and expect drastic results. You know, we all know that, and even then, just coming in once a week doesn't produce drastic results. You still have to do your work on your own. But uh, finding an instructor that you can really relate to and really connect with, in my opinion, 
opinion is super important because you develop that respect for that instructor and it helps you trust them a lot more as well. Very good. So uh, of the kids that you work with now, um, you have quite a range in age. I know you've got some very young clients and then also some kids that are all the way up into their senior year of high school. Um, do you find one group to be more enjoyable to work with or do you enjoy working with across all the ages? I, I really love working with the little ones because they just still have their, their minds are like sponges. They're, they're just eager to learn a lot of things. They're they're still kind of growing into their bodies, so there's that challenging aspect, but at the same time, uh, I have a lot of kids that just thoroughly enjoy coming to lessons, and not saying that the older kids don't, however, I just, I have more of the younger kids, and I just really enjoy that, and I've, I've always been good with kids, so uh, that age group, and them just eager to learn, constantly asking questions, wanting to know how to get better is probably one of my favorite ages. So what would you say uh, to a young player now, you know, based on your experiences, what you've learned going through the recruiting process, what you've learned um, playing at North Carolina State and now as an instructor, what are some key things you would share with a young player or even uh, if you could go back and talk to yourself when you were 12 years old, some key things that you wish you knew then that you know now? If I could go back and tell myself, anything during that recruiting process is just to relax. Um, it, it, it can be a stressful process, but only if you make it one. Uh, there's no expectations for where you should go or where you need to go. It is where you want to go. And I think for a lot of kids now, they feel a lot of pressure to commit to a certain school because of, you know, status quo or who, who you know, if a girl on their team is going to a power five school, they have to go to a power five school. And it, that's not necessarily the case because, for one, you have to love it. If you're going to go in and play in college, you have to love it because it is a daily job. It is work. However, it's one of the greatest experiences I've ever been able to be a part of. I'm forever grateful the fact that I was able to play at a power five in a power five school in a power five conference for four years and I've had a great experience. I've made great friends and it's go there for something that you're going to love. So go somewhere where you're going to play but also be challenged and also allow yourself to go somewhere where you know you're going to fail a little bit because you learn from those failures and it makes you a better person. It will form you into the adult that you want to be and help you get to be an adult who you want to be. So if I were if I were anybody telling you go through this process, it's it's pick somewhere where you know that you're gonna love to be in. Because the city has a huge difference too. Even though you're if you're going somewhere to just play softball but you don't like the city, there's nothing around, there's nothing to do, then don't go there because it's the entire package. Is the school where you want to be? Is the town where you're going to be? Is, is the town safe? Is there anything that's, you want to be far away from home? Do you want to be close to home? All those, all those factors really do play a lot into making that decision. Um, I will say that the biggest decision that I made when I chose NC State was the way that the team responded to me when I went on my official visit. And they already accepted me as if they knew I was going to come there. And they treated me as one of their sisters. They, they brought me in. They completely just, it was like I was, it was, like I was already part of the family when I hadn't even committed there. 
decision, but knowing and loving the teammates that you have is super, super important. Yeah. So what does the future hold for you um, as, as you look forward now? You've been married for just over a year, just over two years now. Wow, time flies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, what, what, what's the future hold? I mean, uh, um, do you think you uh, anticipate staying in the instruction business? Um, or, or what do you think the future holds for Claudia Cooper? Well, I do t- still want to be in the instructor business. It's been very good to me. I've developed you know, a good career. Uh, my wife and I currently reside in, in Mary but we, you know, I make the drive out here for Lawrenceville because I love my clients. I love the place that I'm at, and uh, I know that I do want to go back to grad school and get my master's and eventually um, take something into this to where I can um, find kind of a real-time job in the, in the middle of the day, but also kind of give lessons because I do love it. But um, I guess the five-year plan eventually, you know, we'll, we'll pop out a few kiddos. We'll, we'll go from there. But uh, definitely still going to be instructing because I do love it and I love the kids that I have. Um, and I get to come to work with shorts and t-shirt every day. So, I mean, who can beat that? Yeah. It's, uh, it's not a tough gig in a lot of ways. Uh, but certainly, uh, you know, I think as you look to the future, the idea of um, continuing your education and, and creating options so that you've got uh, as many choices as you want to have yes. moving forward is, is certainly a great plan. And I know uh, uh, you and Ashley are, are going to start a family at some point in time. And then uh, um, all that you've learned uh, along the road, hopefully you can share with uh, with your kids as they become athletes and, uh, and, and venture into different kinds of sports and different kinds of activities. So, Coop, I really do appreciate your time. Uh, anything else you want to share with the world to brag on about uh, uh, that uh, somebody might want to know about Claudia Cooper? Oh, gosh. Um, I'm a big goofball, but I will I will push I will push your kids uh, they will get better with me I can guarantee you that uh, anything anything involving fast pitch prep is probably going to be the best uh, option for you and your children to be able to further their advancement their talent level uh, any, any knowledge about recruiting I mean the fast pitch prep business is just blowing up and it's going to be the future here and I hope everybody that's listening can take a minute to kind of go on fast fast pitch prep Facebook page, and of course, go into all the all the options that we're, that they're gonna have to offer. Is, you know, videos um, for coaches, players, anything, and um, of course, always play this game to have fun. This game is always supposed to be fun. If it's not fun, then you know you probably shouldn't be playing it. But just remember that it is just a game. Go have fun. It's one of the best games out there. It's given me so much. It's something that I can truly say that has been a huge part of my life, and it's a big reason of who I am today, the person that I've become, uh, and the attitude that I have about life, the outlook I have on life. I I owe everything to softball. So uh, please, please, please have fun with this. Don't let it stress you out. Coop, thank you very much for taking some time. Uh, If you're interested in learning more about Claudia, um, you can check out our Facebook page or our website, which is fastpitchprep.com. Claudia is doing videos for us on the YouTube channel, uh, all about catching. Uh, We're calling that uh, Coop's Catching Corner, and uh, we uh, will have a bunch more uh, uploaded here very soon and a chance for you to continue to get to know more about uh, Coop and and her knowledge of the game and and certainly as she shares her knowledge about catching and uh, uh, we're really excited about her being part of the Fast Pitch Prep family. So thank you very much, and you have a great day. Thanks.
Hope everybody enjoyed that interview with Claudia Cooper. Coming up next, we've got Hey Coach, one of Coach Don's clients, gave us a great question this week to talk about when and why to hit the changeup. This week we have another edition of Hey Coach. One of Coach Don's students and parents was uh, kind enough to send us a question, and uh, so here is this week's Hey Coach. Hey Coach Don, this is Chris Harlow. I coach with North Georgia Ninth Coach Twelve U team, and my Hey Coach question for today is: is uh, change-ups and how was our strategy for our girls with uh, no strikes or one strike, but playing all for hit? Thank you, Coach. Well, that's a good question. I know uh, I just recently wrote a little blog about the idea of uh, um, the old baseballism of never hit a first pitch changeup, and I've got some really strong opinions about that. Um, and I'm glad to hear somebody asked a question because I think it's going to make for an interesting conversation. So I know Tori probably uh, we're very similar on our on our thoughts on this one, and um, I think a lot of things happen, especially through the years and, and trans- transition of the players skill level um, but this particular uh, group is a 12U group and uh, Coach Chris does a great job with the kids and uh, just wants to make sure that he's giving them a good message which I think is awesome um, you know often they get frustrated with uh, bad swings on first pitch off speed pitches and that uh, you know that can be very frustrating uh, for our coaches so often you know we can at least temporarily create create a rule saying, hey, we're not going to swing at first first strike or second strike um, off-speed pitches. But uh, for me, Tori, and I'm guessing it would be the same for you, uh, I definitely want our players to be um, wide open. They need to be aggressive. They need to be, um, you know, getting their swings, not to be, uh, you know, restricted in any way. Uh, so if... For, for Chris's question is I would say that we should allow our players to swing at first pitch change-ups or first strike change-ups um, with, with the uh, asterisks that uh, if everything is right, and when I say everything being right, that our postures maintain, that they haven't fooled us and, and our front shoulder hasn't flown open, that, uh, you know, that we're still loaded and, uh, you know, poised well to take a good swing at that first pitch changeup or first strike changeup, pardon me. Um, if everything's right and they hit the ball hard right on the button and get put out, I'm not going to feel bad or give them any grief. I'm going to applaud their aggression and uh, just be excited that they're aggressive. But... If they're, you know, leaning or their front shoulder opens up or they, you know, had to double clutch and their hands dropped and, you know, anything away from a perfect change up swing, um, then I would I would definitely ask them to take that for a, a first pitch strike um, or a first off speed strike. That's totally acceptable. Um, but again, if everything is right, if they've, you know, stay loaded and poised and pause proper, uh, just like hopefully we're practicing which we'll talk about in a minute um you know hopefully 
everything's good and uh, I'm not going to give them any grief for being aggressive and hitting, you know, hitting an early changeup. Right. Well, for me, I've always believed that you should always be aggressive. I think you should always go up there expecting to hit. And I'm going to assume that we're doing the things that allow us to hit that first pitch changeup well. The uh, thing that drives me crazy about this assumption that you should never swing at a first pitch changeup or a first pitch breaking ball is the idea that um, it makes a hitter much less aggressive and, and puts them back on their heels, puts them in a more defensive mindset. Um, I understand where this baseballism comes from because in baseball you've got the fastball, you've got a breaking pitch, and you've got a changeup. So you've only got a couple of options. In softball, the thing that's so different is every pitch is moving. So assuming that by not being aggressive and not swinging at a first pitch strikeout, you're going to get a better pitch to hit, I think it's just crazy. To me, a ball that's going 75% as fast as another pitch is easier to hit and um, so to me if they throw you a first pitch change up and it's over the heart of the plate and you've done the things you're supposed to do as a hitter let it rip the thing that drives me crazy is that when coaches make this rule they're not giving it the asterisk the asterisk that you did they're just telling them no matter what period never swing at a first pitch change up and so we've ended up putting them in a hole that, that is very difficult for that hitter to dig out of so hitters here's my advice to you if you stay strong balanced and ready to hit and she throws you something that's slower hit it in the woods sure so i don't think it's any more complicated than that but again i understand the baseballism of it but you have to remember that our game is so much different so some of those old baseball sayings that people try to translate specifically into the game of fast pitch i don't think necessarily hold true and we'll um, certainly have chances to talk about those more as we go forward but uh, we'd really really do appreciate the hey coach question um coach don can we say that we both firmly would uh, agree on this message if you're ready hit it just hit it absolutely just hit it and hit it a long way and then um, if you hit that change up into the trees i promise you that coach that told you rule number one is never swing at a first pit, first pitch change up is going to forgive you very very quickly so that's our hey coach question of the week coming up next we have a very interesting uh coaching tip of the week from coach don uh, he was planning on uh discussing the techniques of hitting the change up well and things that uh, we should be doing in practice to allow us to answer this question very very easily if they throw you the first pitch change up we're going to be ready to hit it here we have our coaching tip of the week with coach don hi everybody today we're gonna uh have a coaching tip of the week um, talking about hitting change-ups and so often when we do our training we kind of neglect uh you know taking time to address hitting change-ups and the movements that we would expect to have happen um, in the event that we see a change-up it's a very very small time frame of decision making for a hitter just on a regular uh, regular pitch that when we do see a change-up it uh you know it it throws a, a timing wrench in things for players but what I've found is that um, if kids are used to going through the movements we'd like to have happen during a changeup in a game if we go through that movement often enough in, in practice it becomes an instinctive thing and it doesn't create an environment where we uh, you know, get locked up or um, we freeze and we're unable to do anything um, you know, in, that, in that event so uh, what we like to try and ask our players to do during their workouts is to go through a number of reps working on the movement that we'd like to see happen um, during a change up in a game and uh, hopefully that'll be an instinctive thing that uh, that should occur during a game as well when things are right 
And in our practice, we during any of our drills or any of our routines, um, we can build into those five or ten cuts uh, of pausing after the load or uh, the negative movement, whatever uh, whatever each of us term it. But during that load, once that front foot lands, we need to have a time that uh, we pause just for a brief, you know, split second. And uh, I think Coach Story said uh, those are pitches that are 75% of the normal speed. And, uh, you know, that's a very, very small time frame. But each of our players need to be able to pause for that split second, keep their posture, keep their hands back, stay loaded, be balanced. And in that event, when we pause, be able to continue their regular swing um, with all the good uh, fundamentals in terms of, you know, head staying upright, um, shoulders staying level, and, uh, you know, trying to make sure that we're continuing a normal swing after that pause. But if we do that on a regular basis in our practice, uh, we're a lot more likely to have that happen in that split second of a game. And uh, at that point, if we've done that on a regular basis in practice, it's a lot more likely that it'll happen during a game. And there's, uh, you know, it's pretty exciting for me when we have students that come back and and uh, tell us how they they did a great job and they hit a changeup and they had positive results. And uh, I can only attribute that to to their effort in in going through their training workouts, making sure that they do that on a regular basis and then it just happens as an instinct. Another great idea would be for uh, us to go to the YouTube channel and watch a video that Coach Tory does called Fast Change Take. And that would be a great way for us to uh, show you a nice drill that would be super helpful for our change-up workouts. Coach Don, thanks very much. That was a very informative bit of information that hopefully players and coaches can use. That wraps up this segment of Everything Fast Pitch, sponsored by Fast Pitch Prep. Thanks for listening to another episode of Everything Fast Pitch, sponsored by Fast Pitch Prep. This week we covered a wide variety of topics. We started off with Get Ready to Play and Your Pre-Game Routine. Next week we will have part two of that series about scouting and common sense and logical things that you can do to have as much knowledge and as much information about an upcoming opponent as you possibly can. We also had a great interview with Claudia Cooper. Coop is a very good instructor and former college player, and she shared a lot of insight into her career. We had a great episode of Hey Coach with a great question about how to and what our approach would be to hitting a changeup depending upon the count. And then we wrapped it up with Coach Don's tip of the week where he gave us some pointers on how to train more effectively to hit the changeup. We've got a lot of great things upcoming on Fast Pitch Prep and Everything Fast Pitch. If you would like more information, please follow, like, or share us on Facebook. And in that way, you will ensure to get more information about everything that we have going on. For Coach Don McKinley, I'm Coach Tori Atchison and our producer, Bo Ray. Thanks for listening.